Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Okay, you guys, this is the last episode of 2018. I can hardly believe it. I'm happy to be here with you guys and also super pumped to return in 2019 with some fun new things for you as well. And these are also the last days to get the 2018 discount for a weekend retreat with me and Dana Point in 2019. So if you're still thinking about it, head over to elisesnipes.com backslash weekends and you can read more about like the weekend's experience. You can hear from other people about what it was like for them. But if you are looking for something for yourself in 2019, a transformative gift, it's a place for rest and reflection, please come to weekends. It's going to be magical. Okay, this episode is full of all your letters and questions. Some are longer and more detailed and intense. Others are short and sweet. These listener letter episodes are always so much fun. (laughs) I am endlessly amazed at how our questions are connected, how our experiences and families and losses and quiet wonderings are all a part of this being human. Remember, you are not alone, especially as we head towards Christmas. You are not alone. And while it is a magical time of the year, there is also darkness And it is okay for us to make room for both, to hold both light and dark, wonder and grief. Wherever you are in this season, know there is room for you at the table, the real table. And you can come just as you are, in all your shimmer and sparkle, or swaddled in shame, or somewhere in between. The thing is, when we all gather in truth, All there is, is light. So make room in yourself this season to receive. As counter as this must seem, since we are mainly focused on what gifts we will be giving this season, I want to ask you to consider what it is you need to receive. And I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about a different type of gift. Do you need to receive the gift of being known this year? being considered, being seen? Do you need to have the gift of unburdening yourself of the pain you have been holding, of old memories or critical thinking? What do you need to receive? Spend some time considering that. See what you can put words to. I hope you all receive the gift of knowing you are good. Good all the way in, all the way through, good. May that goodness create in you compassion and generosity of spirit. Okay. To the Q&A. <laughs> Numero uno. 
I always love your perspective, so I'm hoping you can give advice on the upcoming holidays. I'm not on speaking terms with my brother and sister-in-law, but agreed to see them Christmas Eve because it's what my parents want. Advice on how to keep it civil and not let it be an issue around my kids? I finally felt like I had reached the age to just cut people out when I feel like the relationship is unhealthy, but here I am in this predicament. Okay, there are so many things I want to say here. Um, One, I'm glad that somebody asked a holiday question because it's probably something that many of us can relate to. So I'm going to start with this. One, you are a good daughter. Okay. Two, you can keep it civil by remembering who you are. You are kind, considerate, self-aware. See, when we enter into situations with people who we have tension with, we tend to consume ourselves with their every action, like their every breath. We totally lose ourselves and enter into this unspoken dialogue about how awful they are. And while all of this might be true, you just gave all your power away. By focusing on them, you lose sight of you. So think about who you are on a regular day with your people. Describe yourself. Think about how you show up, how you interact with others, what values are important to you what you want your children to know, that kind of stuff. And then put that on. Don't let them turn you into someone you're not. And three, you are at an age where you can cut out emotionally unhealthy people. Uh, Most people are too enmeshed or afraid of doing this. So good for you for realizing that there are options. This is just one night. This is not a forever thing. So decide how you want to show up, talk to your husband about it, and then own it. Good luck, friend. I know that you'll do well. Two, do you truly think that therapy by phone or Skype has the same effect as being in the same room? I've never done virtual therapy. This is a fabulous question. (laughs) The majority of my practice is actually now done remotely, which means via video call with people all over the nation. So this is a super pertinent question. And I I actually wish that we could like phone a friend and I could have my people respond to hear what they think about this. Uh, Let me just tell you about a session I had this week and I think we'll answer your question. We were talking about her family of origin and kind of just dancing around the question of like what happens when you realize something involving a family member, like do you need to tell them? Like I could have just answered that and told her, no, you don't have to include everyone in your growth Or tell your family members how they hurt you since they might not be healthy enough to hold that. So instead, via video, I said, okay, why don't we try something? Now, I want you to imagine what it would be like to invite your parents into the room with us. Tell me where they would sit. What would their body language be like? Really paint the picture. Give me the details. And now, sidebar, you might even do this exercise as we're listening, okay? I asked her to consider where she wanted to be in the room, where she wanted me to sit. I asked her if she wanted to start or if she wanted me to set up the meeting the way that it would go. And immediately something like rose in her. And it was like this feeling of wanting to protect her parents from the information she was going to share with them. So I pushed on this a little bit, looking at the pattern of parentifying herself and keeping others from truly seeing her needs. We let that sink in and 
I asked her if it would be okay if I said something to her parents, if she would let me care for her so she could be herself and not have to care for her parents in this moment. That set off another chain of feelings. What is it like having someone attend to her? The relief that came from thinking about being able to share her pain without having to rescue her parents from their helplessness or responsibility in it? See, we went through an entire family session this way. Giving words and actions to each family member, pausing to take in the experience and stay with the feelings that were coming up. It was one of the most significant therapy sessions I have ever had as a therapist, and here's why. I also had major doubts about how remote therapy would feel, if it would be the same, if there would be a connection, if it's even real therapy since we aren't physically together. And, you know, being true to form, I wanted to see for myself rather than just taking other people's experiences as law. And I'm not kidding you. I am blown away by the power and pace of the work that is done remotely. See, I underestimated how work could be done in this way. Okay, so back to my person. Think about how weird this is, okay? We had an imaginary family session via video in two different states in three different time zones that resulted in concrete resolution, untangling messy family patterns, gaining awareness of her real needs, increasing compassion for her parents, and ultimately a clear way forward in these relationships. Okay, I'm just saying, therapy is art. It is a live form. And I think when we try to box it in to be something, we lose the potential of what it can become. So all that to say, Hell yes, I think remote therapy can have the same effect as in-person therapy. One last thing about this. I also have done um, phone call sessions recently where, where there's no video. And I think if there's a certain safety in being able to tell somebody something when they're not looking at you, like think about the old confession booths. I notice that people can be candid because they're not like there is a yes, there's a depersonalized factor. But there's a beauty and safety, I think, in being able to approach full candor by releasing some of the shame that comes with doing some of the big work to then move towards the person-to-person connection. So again, all that to say, and that might be more for some of the other therapists that are listening, that I would 100% recommend pursuing integrating remote therapy into your practice if you're a therapist and then as a person maybe seeking therapy or services to give it a whirl you have access to more therapists outside of your immediate area when you seek remote therapy you also don't have to interrupt your day as much because you can you can (laughs) do it on your lunch break you can do it from your home you might not need a babysitter there's like infinity reasons why i i believe remote therapy is part of the future of, of therapy and where we're headed this next year um, I'm going to spoiler alert something real quick. In t- 2019, I'm also starting a nationwide remote group therapy practice. So um, you can give it a whirl there. That's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> but I'll keep you posted. Okay, number three. Is it okay to give up on a marriage with a mentally and verbally abusive person? Yes. Okay. If you are in a marriage with a mentally or verbally abusive person, you are not giving up. You are responding to their actions of already breaking your marriage vows 
by treating you like that in the first place. You aren't giving up on anything. You are staying committed to your right to human dignity, respect, and actual love, which never looks like abuse, period. Four, favorite book. If I could do an entire episode as one giant book review, it would be days long. I have a reading problem. Okay, so to reduce this question to one book of all time, I like kind of agonize over it because I'm a, I know that as soon as I say one book, a bunch of other books are going to come up and be like, wait, what? <laughs> so I'm going to stick to one answer today. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. It is a book I have read so many times and I keep coming back to. It's young. I read it, I think, when I was first in high school, but I love it. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Question five. How do I speak to my one and three-year-old during their meltdowns? Okay, well, you don't. (laughs) When your children are melting down, this is not the time to speak with them. Their little brains are flooded with irrationality when they're having a meltdown and can literally not be met with reason. So in the midst of said storm, make sure they are safe, as in like physically safe. Let them do their thing. They might need to release some feelings and... Younger people, children, have more freedom to do that than adults. So it's okay that they express themselves in large ways. When they start calming down, you can ask, are you done? (laughs) And are you ready to talk now? I support an immediate follow-up to whatever the behavior is so the child can connect the talking to the actions. If too much time goes by, they won't make the connection between what just happened and what you're saying. Basic, this is like basic behavioral theory. So regardless of age, I also recommend that your approach is consistent, calm, and confident. Decide on how you want to handle meltdown or conflict ahead of time. You can practice the words you want to use. Give them room like in the exchange. Stick to it. This might be the number one thing when it comes to parenting is consistency. Sometimes parents want to employ like infinity ideas and then they end up being inconsistent and this just creates chaos and then children tend to not trust your follow-up or intervention or your approach. So even if this is for your one-year-old, there will be a day when she is also three and five and 13 and 21. So consider how you want to handle yourself when they are losing their mind and that won't change, right? So set the precedent now. Side note, another spoiler alert, in the new year, I'm going to be starting some workshops that will include topics like parenting. They're going to be online workshops that you can do from wherever you are, I think about 30 minutes long. So anticipate being able to have some additional resources that go more into depth into practical solutions, uh, multiple modalities, and super practical ways forward. If you have specific workshops you would want, contact me, let me know. So far, I have um, some of the the big guns, anxiety, depression, sex, parenting, and some others. So anyways, I will let you know when that's happening. Next question. What is your take on the new slogan, living my best life? (laughs) Okay, I feel split on it. Depends on who is using it and what they mean. I do think some people use it to defend or explain why they are indulging in something. What this can create in, is people comparing themselves, and I'm thinking specifically on social media. On the other hand, I think some people need to do more indulging and enjoying their life, so I kind of like the fire it can light. 
Uh, mainly, I feel like it's pop culture and a way for people to show off. And I will 100% be using this hashtag as I have in the past because I think that it is great and not to take any of these things too seriously. <laughs> Number seven, how do I love my sister yet have boundaries when she has caused separation in my family? Okay, boundaries are loving. Boundaries are love. Having them doesn't mean you don't love your sister. It means you also love you too and your family. So there's two great books, Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend and The Best Yes. It sounds like you don't need to work on how to love your sister, but on how to set appropriate boundaries and expectations for her and then not feel bad about it. Question eight, the best way to raise happy, healthy kiddos. Okay, this one's easy. Be happy and healthy. Easier said than done, but truly, that's, that's exactly the way to raise happy, healthy kiddos. Be happy and healthy yourself. Nine, I love that you seem to share more of your life than the stereotypical therapist. It makes you so much more relatable than any therapist I have come across and have already changed my view a little on how therapists are. If, <laughs> if there were more people like you, I think they would actually go. What made you decide to change up the traditional therapist role of not sharing many significant things with others? I guess I'm assuming that along with everyone else, your clients may follow you here on Instagram or listen to your podcast. Was that a hard decision to make knowing or is that more freeing? Oh, okay. One, thank you. <laughs> I actually, I get asked this question by other therapists and associates coming into the field. So this is, this is a good, this is a good one to answer. Um, what initially made me want to change up the traditional role was realizing that this way of thinking is kind of outdated and has been accepted as like the only way to skin the cat, if you will. So I took a step back and asked some, some bigger questions. One, what actually helps people heal? What is the role of the therapist in this? How does the field of mental health need to grow in order to adjust to the growing needs of people in society? especially as it pertains to technology. Okay, so ultimately, I think that a genuine connection between two humans is inherently restorative. The only way that can happen is when two people participate in a genuine way, which would require me to show up too, genuinely. See, therapists are taught to be a blank slate, and there are times when this is appropriate and times when we need to stay neutral or unbiased. Okay, here's a caveat that is typically about topics or beliefs or political viewpoints, but it's not about how we connect. So I think therapists end up taking an important tool and they use it as a point of view. Do you hear the difference? I think that being a blank slate at some points can be an important tool or intervention, but it's not a therapeutic style or point of view. Ultimately, I also think it is critical that every therapist find their voice and their style of this craft and do that well. I do have people I work with um, that follow me on social media and listen to this podcast, and this could be controversial amongst therapists. Um, I don't mind a little controversy, <laughs> but here's my take on that. When I get to work with a person, I get to show up to their story, like their life and experiences. That is radically brave. For someone to come to tell a stranger all their things, you guys, it's it's brave. It's also it's also unnatural to be honest. Like we don't typically do that. So as they unveil themselves, what happens is there's this human desire to wonder how we are being seen. 
to wonder if the therapist likes us or sees us as good or if they actually care for us. So part of why I share myself on social media or in this podcast is to give people a chance to know me too as another human being on this planet, not as the professional. And I think what has happened is trust is built. You know, think about it. When you know someone a little better, especially someone you were going to go share all your stuff with, sometimes we want to know what they're about. And I think that's smart, actually. (laughs) I think this is not mandatory, and I also think it's not for every therapist. But I do think people are naturally curious and want to know about their therapist. And I have no problem with people knowing about me or my life or history, um, whether that's old stuff or stuff I am currently in process with. I want to humanize the process as much as possible to break the stigma of like therapist here, professional and like person down here seeking help. It's, I want to level that a little bit so that way there's um, less of someone being kept sick or small. Um, I also, this is an important point, I do not want to take up their time with my stuff. So while a person I work with might have questions or want to know more about my life, I don't need to take up their time with that. If they're curious and there's a way for them to listen to this podcast or look on social media, and then I think it allows us to have a deeper connection. So so I have no problem with my people knowing about me or my life or history and whatever part of the process I'm in with that. But I also just don't want to take up their time in session with my stuff, right? And also, not all of my stuff goes on to social media or this podcast. There's definitely still stuff that I take just to my own therapist, and I work on my stuff there. So the things that I have on my podcast or in social media are intentional things that I have either been working through or am working through and that I would feel comfortable with someone I'm working with knowing. So I still have boundaries in that area. (laughs) Um, It has been freeing and not really about like my people, like when I think about sharing, getting to share my truth, to be in real-time process, to have a place to put words to my wounds, all of that is freeing. I think because what I'm saying is I'm okay with where I am and whoever knows it. I have nothing to hide and yeah, that's for sure free. <laughs> okay, 10. What's your favorite thing about podcasting and why? I love the process of thinking about it. I, I, it's like looking for breadcrumbs throughout the week and kind of wondering what they'll turn into. It creates this sense of mystery and magic for me. I feel like I'm on a cosmic scavenger hunt. (laughs) 11. How do you balance trying to be a good friend when you feel like you are failing in their eyes? Okay, there's nothing to balance. If you feel like you are failing, you need to ask them and gain some clarity so you aren't predicting or projecting your own feelings. Also, you need to make sure your friend is healthy and has appropriate expectations for you. This friendship sounds complicated and confusing, so seek clarity and be aware of codependency. Question 12. I'm the youngest at 31. My siblings still try to get a rise out of me. How do I change this dynamic? Oh, family. (laughs) It's a never-ending source of torture, dysfunction, and entertainment. At least mine. (laughs) At least mine is. Um, Sounds like your dynamic might be too. So what it really sounds like is you are super over this dynamic and feeling like the baby of the family. If that's the case, think about how you engage in your relationships where you feel respected or your truest self. What makes those relationships feel that way? How do you participate in those interactions? 
Take some time to sit with that, okay? Then think about how you can lead with that presence when you show up for Christmas dinner or wherever you're going to see them next. Remember, they will most likely start in with their usual digs because let me suggest that it might not be because of you. It might be because they don't know what else to say or how else to interact if you're not the target. So a couple thoughts. You can still be the center of the conversation, but change the narrative. Offer them something new or different to talk about. Call them out on their shit and redirect it. Like, aren't you guys tired of this? Or super original. Or redirect it with a, a question back. Something super deep, something deeper. Like, hey, how's work going for you? Just be prepared with a handful of questions you can ask to pass the hot potato back. And stick to the script. Don't let them move you off your mark. Just because they get the best of you when you were a kid doesn't mean they fully get you now that you are an adult. So don't play into their hand. 13. I'm really interested to hear your take on boundaries, particularly with close relatives. I struggle to cope with family members who don't treat me the way I want to be treated or even make an effort. Yet, if I was firm on boundaries, there'd be basically no relationship since I do 99% of the work. I believe in boundaries, but don't know the right thing in these cases. Firm boundaries and ultimately cut ties or make exceptions for close relatives who aren't relationally healthy. Okay, I could probably sit over coffee with you all day on this topic. Okay, listen. (laughs) Just because people are related doesn't mean they get to be assholes, okay? We make excuses for family all the time. If a friend or a person from work was this emotionally unhealthy or treating you poorly, it would feel pretty cut and dry, and no one would doubt your boundaries. People would be like, yeah, of course you cut them out. But when it comes to family, we say things or people say things like, oh, but, you know, she just doesn't know any better, or, you know, he's getting older, and she's never known any other way. His parents weren't emotionally available. And then we just allow them to stay sick and ourselves to feel bad and the cycle to continue. Also, you kind of answered this yourself. If there would be basically no relationship since you do 99% of the work, then there is actually already no relationship. Call it what it is. Decide how much you want to give to the relationship and then only do your part. Brief public service announcement, I know that I'm direct when it comes to some of these questions because we are not sitting in therapy doing our deep family dynamic work, but these are just straightforward answers to your questions. And I did feel like I should mention that because sometimes it can get a little spicy. Um, Therapy, the actual work or untangling this mess feels and looks differently. These questions are a way to kind of like spitfire answer some things straight off the cuff and a way to shake up and maybe give someone what they weren't expecting in order for them to make an actual change. I think that's the purpose and point of any type of like dialogue is if we're going to ask the question, then let's be prepared to actually do something about it. Okay. 14. <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now. I love your style of therapy from what I've heard. I've never been to therapy, but lately have been leaning towards it. Then I forgot, forget about it and move on. This week, I had a difficult day again with my soon-to-be mother-in-law. I am marrying my love in three months. We've been together over seven years. He is American-born Vietnamese, but his family was all born in Vietnam. So, of course, culture has always been a topic in our relationship. I have always tried to ask about it so I know what to do and not do so she could like me. 
I've always cared about her and how she sees me. There have been times she stops talking to me because we didn't take her with us on vacation. Yep, she wants to go everywhere with her son, especially now that she is divorced. Well, we are fine again, but then she stopped talking to me for three months when he proposed, and to this day she has not ever congratulated us. The latest is she got upset on how an invitation was sent when she was the one that gave us the information. It became a big fight later with my fiancé because I feel he doesn't stick up for me enough. He, of course, says he does, but cannot disrespect his mother. Is it okay for her to talk to me the way that she does? I've held my tongue for so long so I don't hurt him, but I'm reaching the end. I know there is drama at every wedding, but I just want a break. It's to the point that I get anxious and make up scenes on my head on how I'm going to tell her off if she says something to my face. Sorry so long, bride-to-be. Dang, girl. Okay, first, please go do some premarital counseling before you get married. Uh, These relationship dynamics you will face as long as your mother-in-law is alive. You do not need her to be between you and your husband. Yes, this is cultural, and yes, this is also more than that. There is a need to leave and cleave in all marriages. Okay, this is where we leave our family of origin and those dynamics and roles and expectations and cleave to our spouse. It's another boundary situation. The transition can be shocking for families and difficult to navigate. So again, I would highly suggest premarital counseling so you can bring this up and have a third party help you learn to talk about what is going on openly. And so your husband can hear from more people than you on this. Okay. Regarding your desire for her to like you, give it up. Okay. She might not ever like you and it might have nothing to do with you. Your job is to be married to your husband and to enjoy the beginning of this relationship. If she ends up liking you, that's like a a bonus, an extra cherry on top, but it is not the goal. Also, your predictive text, when it comes to potential scenes, Stop ruminating on what might happen. Okay, that's that anxious behavior could lead to self-fulfilling prophecy. If you want to imagine anything, visualize it all going well. Imagine scenes of like good connection and her laughing at something you say. Uh, just put goodwill into the scene. It will boost your positivity and it will free you from feeling consumed by her. Maybe... Second, secondly, <laughs> because first is go to premarital. Second is your wedding is one day. Your marriage is the rest of your life. So prepare for the latter. Last question, number 15, the juiciest for last. What is your best sex advice for parents with young kids? Woo, okay. So I know I alluded to doing a whole workshop on a workshop on a topic like this. So stay tuned. In the meantime, just like Nike says, just do it. Staying connected sexually is crucial, especially during the time of young kids. It is a draining time and a lot of marriages struggle in the season. Okay, It's already a difficult season. When you are two parents raising young children, life is already difficult. It's already complicated. It's already tiring. Um, it basically goes against all the things you need to have like a spicy sex life. So it's like, um, so the role of sex is almost like compounding these already intense or normal difficulties. Okay. So raising young children is hard. That's expected to be that way. But then if there's a sexual difficulty, then that really compounds what might already feel fractured. Okay. So first things first, biology 
make sure all your parts are healed and recovered. I mean that because literally there are times where people are in my office and I'm like, so let me get this straight. You had a child and now every time you have sex, you're in so much pain, you want to cry, but you haven't said anything. Okay. So ladies, go to your doctor, do your follow-up visits, make sure everything is okay. We always start with biology to rule out any remote complication with what's going on. So that way we can at least clear that out so you can enjoy having sex again. And you will enjoy having sex again. Talk to your OB about your sex drive if that has changed since having kids. It is normal for that to change, but not disappear. We don't want that to be gone. So don't freak out, but do address it. Um, you might also want to think about birth control so you don't end up with three kids in three years. <clears throat> Just saying. Um, you might want to also find out if your birth control is affecting your sex drive. Again, looking at all the biology and the hormonal levels first before we make sex an emotional thing, okay? First, biology. You want to rule out that there's not some hormonal imbalance and then instead of being like, oh, I'm not attracted to my husband anymore. It might not be that. Rule out the, um, the medical stuff first. Talk to your partner about what is realistic in this season because remember, this is just a season, so don't think that you're setting up like the sexual precedent for the rest of your married life. Give yourself a break. It is okay that you have a different frequency of sex during the season. Both of your needs should be met, not just one person. So make time for it. You don't have to put it on your calendar if you don't want to. You can. I have plenty of people who I know who do that set a little alarm or they know that it's always on Fridays or whatnot. But just make sure it's happening as often as it's right for you guys. Um, also, don't listen to other people's sex bragging, okay? I am fully calling BS on this. If they're advertising it, it's probably not true. That's called compensation. Next, <laughs> change it up. Have fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. If you are super freshly like having babies and you're still nursing, this one's for the ladies, <laughs> Consider keeping the parts of your body you don't want touched covered. That way you don't have to, in the middle of your experience, be trying to move their hands away. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. The reason I'm saying this is that there are there's a secondary sexual spots of your body that maybe used to be sexually positive and now feel sexually negative. You might not know that till you're in the moment. And then you, the experience might feel... Uh, chaotic rather than enjoyable. So if there are parts of your body that you know ahead of time, specifically, again, if you're nursing, you might not want that part of your body exposed. Take care of it and then let your husband know, hey, FYI, the <laughs> the parts where clothes are on, just off limits tonight. Um, again, be gracious with yourself. Your body is changing. Everything is changing. Don't freak out. Sex will return, but that might just be a little helpful hint. <laughs> if you are having difficulty connecting sexually, think about what would make the experience more enjoyable. Do you need the lights all the way off? <laughs> Do you need the dishes done ahead of time? Do you need the door locked? Whatever you need to do in this season, again, it is seasonal. Be patient with yourself as this is a season, but also don't stay stuck in unhealthy patterns. If you had children 45 years ago, newsflash, you're stuck, okay? You need to make sure that, e that even though we give ourselves permission to allow all these things to come back to functioning, um, don't st 
say, oh, this is the way that it'll always be. Or 15 years down the line, be like, oh, shit, yeah, we're still doing this like we just had babies. So other thing I like to say when it comes to this, keep it spicy. Um, you can come up with your own ideas here. I will for sure be sharing some at the workshop. So brace yourself. Okay, that was fun. There were a lot of questions that came in, so I'm going to save some for the new year. You can always DM me on Instagram at Elise Snipes Collective whenever you like if you have a question that you want to have answered here. Okay, you guys, until next time, may you be blessed with a quiet knowing, a genuine experience of your goodness, an anticipation of deep joy, a hope of healing. And as always, may you see magic in the mundane and share in the beauty that is all around you. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you are interested in beginning your own work in therapy or coaching, you can go to www.elisesnipes.com. Follow me on Instagram at Elise Snipes Collective, where I will be sharing more with you throughout the week. You can get in touch with me to suggest a topic for the show or to ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered. Or just say hi by emailing me at elise at elisesnipes.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends.